This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus, and of course, my partner, Alan, is here, and we're sitting with Robin Cloud, who is the Vice President of Planning for Garibaldi Squamish. It's no longer Garibaldi at Squamish, it's just Garibaldi Squamish now, correct? So we can't call it Garibaldi gas. Squamish Resort, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that's... Um that's a working title. Um, one of the things that everybody agreed on is we didn't like Garibaldi at Squamish, mostly because of the acronym. Um, and so we're working on a new name. So this is a working interim name. And we actually have decided to, uh, the Squamish Nation is a partner in this project. So we've asked them to come up with some names for the resort, plus for the uh, some of the other stuff around that sort of better fits their culture and their history with the area. Okay, so I think the burning question that most people want to know is, is this project going to go forward? It's going to go forward, um, subject to some conditions that uh, have been put on the uh, environmental assessment certificate, which was issued two years ago. So there's 40 conditions there that have to be met before the project can, uh, can go. Some of them are construction only. Some of them are construction and operations. We also have to get uh, approval from another branch of the provincial government, which is the lands people, the, the use of the crown land. They have required that we get approval from local government. So that's the stage we're at right now is determining what that local government should look like and uh, to get approval. Because you want to develop on the SLRD lands right now and you want to be sort of part of the district. So yes, right now it's within the SLRD. It actually abuts the District Squamish boundary, um, but the we think that the best form of local government is to have the District Squamish uh, do a boundary extension and take in at least the base areas of the resort. Has a lot of advantages to to citizens. There'll be significant tax revenue come in from the resort. There's going to be hotels and commercial space and and that kind of stuff. And also Squamish will then have a say in how the resort is developed because it'll have to go through um, OCP amendments, development permits, zoning, all those kinds of things. So Squamish can have a significant say in what happens. If it goes some other method and becomes a, a separate community within the regional district, Squamish will not get much of the revenue and they'll have very little say in what happens. Can we just move back in time a little bit? Because this project has been long gestating. Mm-hmm. Give us the overview. It started originally back when? Yes. So um, it started a long time ago. Wolfgang Richter uh, was one of the people that got it started. What the province did, and, the, and they do this often with Crown Land, so the province wants to use the public land for the highest and best use and to get the most revenue out of it. So sometimes that's logging and sometimes it's mining and sometimes it's a resort. They put out a call for proposals for that particular piece of ground on Brougham Ridge. Wolfgang put a group together and they responded to that and were awarded the, the rights to do further investigation. There's a, they, they were given an interim agreement to do um, more consultation and more studies and all those kind of things. Now, since then, a lot of rules changed. So originally there was no intention on doing a environmental assessment certificate. So that was something that came in uh, quite a few years later. Took quite a few years to get done. Also in the, in the beginning, of course, there was very little consultation with the local First Nation, and now there is both consultation and accommodation, uh, which we've done. In 2014, the project 
really focused on getting the environmental assessment certificate, and that was issued in 2016. Yeah, on your on your flyer here, uh, your information sheet, you did include that you'll be the only resort in BC that has attained the environmental assessment certificate. We say we're going to be the only operating resort. So uh, other most ski areas didn't have to go through an environmental assessment certificate because they uh, gra were grandfathered in. So you know the bigger places that have been around for a while, like Whistler, Sun Peaks, Big White, didn't have to do it. Um, but the, the jumbo resort, the proposed jumbo resort near Cranbrook, yep. they have not, they've failed to get their environmental assessment. Well, they got their permits and their, and their certificates, but then they didn't meet the condition of substantially starting construction within five years. So that's what shut them down. And then they recently won a court battle declaring that they, the province has to go through another process of some sort again for them. So they're technically still alive. You know, at, at this point, there's been no new resorts built in BC in years. Yeah, and that was going to be my question right. is why is it so hard to build a ski resort in British Columbia? We used to be known for skiing, mm -hmm. Whistler, Blackcomb, Big White, Todd Mountain, yeah. and all of a sudden now you can't build a ski resort. And yeah, some of that is the, like I said, the changing environmental conditions. The, the, the resorts you mentioned, Big White, Silver Star, Sun Peaks, Whistler obviously, have been very successful. And they, and they remain successful. A lot of other smaller hills are also, you know, Hemlock, Baldy, Red Mountain are, you know, sort of more local ski hills. They're doing okay. But there is a lot of conditions to be fulfilled before you can open a new resort. Belmont has their, their permits in place to go. They didn't have to do an environmental certificate. They just had to go through the, the lands branch process. They also had the complete support of their, their local First Nations. And um, they haven't started construction yet, though, so I, I don't know what's happening there. And for people who don't know, Vailmont is just over the mountain on the BC side from Jasper. Yeah, it's in the area where all the big heli skiing operations are. You know, they get good snow. The problem is that it's a long ways from anywhere. Right, and so I guess that's the advantage of Squamish Garibaldi. And now, again, going back in time, a lot of people don't know this, but there are, well, there are the remains of old ski lifts up there and a lodge that was built, I think, in the 40s or perhaps the 50s. Now, it was more like the 60s because the, the original gondola was, was there for a long time, and it was exactly the same as the original Whistler gondola. So it was about that same time period, late 60s, that that was built. The, I mean, the towers were there for a long time, and, and there was actually, for a while, there was cabins hanging on the, the towers that actually ran, and then it, uh, it just didn't go ahead. And here we are. Here we are well, again. Well, the cabins are still being used, I believe, by the snowmobile associations. Yeah, so the snowmobile uh, club, uh, Black Toss Snowmobile Club, rents that cabin from the province. You know, it's on provincial land, so. So it's not like the, the lands are not being used. The, 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 uh, and also you're looking at, because I'm looking at some of also your new maps, you've also mapped out some of your uh, mountain bike trails and, mm -hmm. and so forth. So you're in the planning phase, obviously. Yep. And uh, you're, I guess you're looking to attract Sorka and all these other associations within Squamish to help with the, uh, with the project. For sure. Besides the name, the other thing we've changed is we've taken the word ski hill or ski resort out of it. It's a, it's a mountain resort, whether it's going to be an all-season mountain resort or alpine resort or whatever it's going to be called, I don't know yet. But the mountain biking and alpine hiking and those kind of things are going to be a really, really key part of what happens up there as far as it you know, successfully attracting people and uh, providing the jobs and all the things that we hope it's going to do. We've hired a company called Gravity Logic, which is based in Squamish and Whistler. They built the original bike park in Whistler, and they work all over the world now, designing, building, 
mountain bike parks, for lack of a better word, but they're they're doing a feasibility study, and they came. They were up there last week. Dave Dave Kelly and, and Rob Coquette were up there last week, had their first good look at it, and they came down just raving about the potential for lift service mountain biking. Right, and as we're seeing at Whistler, mountain biking is actually becoming bigger than skiing. So well, as big as they. Mountain Bike Tourism Association did a study in 2016, the value of mountain biking to various communities in the in the regional district. Squamish was about $10 million, and of course that's all just, you know, hotel rooms and dinners and renting gear and stuff. Whistler was almost $50 million, which included about half of that was lift-serviced mountain biking. So there's no reason that Squamish couldn't be in that same range in a, in a few years, right, of $50 million a year brought in by mountain biking. Just to go back a little bit, though, where, where do you stand actually with the First Nations at this point? Have you made arrangements with them? Have you made agreements with them? Um, because you're, you're, you said you're, you're having, you know, you've been in talks with them. I don't know at what stage you're at. With so uh, two, two parts to that, two answers to that. One is that the province requires consultation with First Nations now. So that means that we've got to talk to uh, them as part of the environmental assessment process. They assigned some people to be part of the provincial environmental assessment. They also did their own environmental assessment. And that was around things like you know, protecting the waters in Brome Creek. They put some conditions in there around um, traditional gathering of herbs and uh, medicinal plants and stuff like that. That's protected. They want to protect the mountain goat. So there's a bunch of sort of those kind of technical issues that they had a lot of input into and that, and that as we move forward, we have to continue to send them reports, consult with them, work with them a as we go forward. The second part was um, the accommodation agreement, which the, the province requires. So we have a um, memorandum of understanding with the Squamish Nation to do certain things, including providing training jobs for their youth. We're going to contribute a certain amount of money to them as part of their upgrading their housing and getting more housing in this area. And um, the naming convention that I mentioned earlier, the, they will, uh, the uh, mountain will reflect a lot of the Squamish Nation culture and history in what happens up there. Um, and we've confirmed with the new um, Squamish uh, Council, Squamish Nation Council, um, that they're still in favor, or they remain in favor, uh, we're going to have to amend that agreement that we've got, but uh, the, there's been no roadblocks thrown up to this to, to date. Now, I remember going back about 10 years, one of the biggest hurdles that you were looking to overcome was water supply. Yes. Has that been addressed? The environmental conditions um, approve taking water from the Paradise Valley area, subject to, the, of the 40 conditions, um, six of them are around water. And so there was some, a test well drilled um, years ago as part of this process. Uh, it was proven that there's water there, a full hydrology study done by uh, Pito and Associates, which was the same people that did all the hydrology work for uh, District Squamish. So that, that's proved subject to the conditions, and the conditions are really, really strict. So there needs to be several more test wells dug, pumping carried out right through the dry part of the year to show that there's no, no negative effect on the aquifer, monitoring of the domestic water wells that are in the area, and if there's any impact, negative impact on them in the summertime to drill replacement wells for these people, uh, monitoring of Swift Creek and the other surface water that's around it. So 
th there are a whole bunch of protections built in and, and a whole bunch of studies to be done before any water is taken out of there. One of the conditions is to have a secondary source of water um, in case of emergency. And so what we want to do is get on the mountain and drill some test wells on the mountain, see how much water is up there, and to look at some other alternatives, including water conservation, incredible water conservation. So the whole study for the water was based on 400 and li 450 liters per person per day usage, which is what the District of Squamish has asked for. Sun Peaks uses 220, 230 liters per person per day. They've, they have no outside irrigation. They uh, have water meters. They've, they have a whole bunch of things that they do to, to conserve water. We think we can do even better with that. We're looking at things like you know reusing gray water. So you have a shower, it goes into a tank. That water then flushes your toilet. So you use the water twice. As well as uh, there's one reservoir approved up there right now. We think there's places to, to um, put a couple more reservoirs that would have no negative impact on the environment but would get us through that dry period. So that's a long answer. The short <laughs> answer is that we've got, we've got this ap conditional approval um, and we have not yet come up with exactly the solution we're going to use. When you say up there, can, we, can you just describe the geography that we're talking about? Now, the original plan, it was somewhat contentious in that it went right down around Cat Lake and even across Highway 99 and around Brome Lake. Yes. So now where's the plan? What is the basic geography that we're so looking at? So the basic geography, the original plan also included a, uh, a commercial node on the highway. You know, sort of you are here with, mo you know, a gas station, motel, that kind of thing. Um, so that's gone. There's nothing along the highway. There'll be an inter interchange built similar to the one that people see when they're going south from Porto, where the Concord Pacific sign used to be. Full, full interchange. Exactly where that is will be up to highways to tell us. We'll work with their engineers on where that is. People will turn off there, drive uh, up a road s very similar to Cyprus or Seymour, you know, 10 kilometers at 8%, something like that to get up to where the resort is. So the base area has been moved. The original base area was right beside the highway at about 200 meters elevation. The second plan that moved the base area up to 650 meters, which is the same as the elevation of Whistler Village or Creekside, we've now moved the main village up to 1,100 meters, almost 1,100 meters elevation, which is like halfway up the Whistler Village gondola on Whistler or the top of the Grouse Skyride. So it's way up into the snow zone. And again, that was on a purpose to get up to where the snow is normally really good. And it's, a, it's actually uh, a really good spot for a village. It's relatively flat. It's got uh, a bowl around three sides of it. So they'll be skiing back into the main village from three different areas. And um, south facing, got good views down to Howe Sound. So, and then the, the Brome Ridge itself goes east from there and of, of course eventually joins into the Garibaldi Massif. And so the, there will be lifts sort of up that ridge and, and ski runs coming down from that ridge. A bunch of them are on the north facing side of that ridge, which again was something that has changed from the original plan. So there's gonna be really good north facing steep skiing off there. The total area is half of what it, w the would original you, plan Would was. you be able to ski out from those north facing runs or would you have to take a lift back? No, I'd have to, have to take a lift right, back okay. up. One of the conditions was that we stay away from uh, Garibaldi Park. And so the one chairlift that goes down the north side, you would ski down to it, ride back up because to avoid getting into Garibaldi Park. So again, the total area is half as much as it used to be and 
There's no development near Brome Lake, nothing near Cat Lake. It, it's all, all up in the Alpine area. So what are the phases then? Where, where do you, how do you start from? You start with residential or the hotels or how, how are you phasing it in and how, how big are you looking to be? So the province, Lands Branch, so it's, it's called the Mountain Resorts Branch and they look after all of the mountain resorts in BC. There's a very strict formula that was developed in the 70s and what it does is you build recreational amenities and it doesn't have to be a chairlift, it can be a cross country area, but normally it's a chairlift with some ski runs that come down it, right? So that gives you a capacity on the hill of a number. Then there's a formula that if once you've built that, you can then build accommodation at the base of that lift to both sell to help pay for the capital cost, but also it provides those, those people to come and ski and use your lifts midweek. So it's been an incredibly successful model. It's the model that all the skiers we talked about earlier have used. Whistler um, and Interwest perfected that model. I mean, they just took it to the nth and had building the lifts, building the condos, and it just, you know, that, that's been the success of Whistler is using that model. Well, I guess what people worry about is that, like with Whistler, the, you, the development is funding your resort. So you've got a great cash flow for, the, for however long your build-out. I mean, with Whistler, it was decades. Yeah. And, but then they reach their, their bed limit, and now you're just running. You, you no longer have those development fees coming in. You're just running purely on the resort, and that's when they start to run into a little bit of trouble. Now, Vail's taking it over, and whether they're doing a good or bad job is open to debate, but right. that's uh, some concerns that people have. The program that the province for the MRB puts together is, again, you can, you can sell some, real, some of your, your base area accommodation to help pay for the capital cost. The ski area has got to be shown to stand on its own, whether it's, um, and it can, you know, can say, I keep saying ski area, but it could be you know, a, a cross-country area with golfing in the summer, uh, whatever it is the operating costs have got to be covered by your operating revenue. So Worcester does that very, very well. Revelstoke does that very well. The, the um, other places that I've talked about, so, you know, Silver Star, Sun Geeks, those places, they're, they're really successful year-round resorts just on their own, partly because they've managed to cover some of the capital. You're not carrying this huge mortgage for years. You've paid off, you know, many or all of the capital costs by uh, selling some accommodation to to help pay. Now I've brought up Vale, and Vale has said since they've taken over Whistler that they're not interested in in weekend skiers. Now I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure they didn't say it quite that way. However, they've, did. They've, yeah. they've they've made it very clear that they they're very much focused on the international market, the people that fly into Vancouver and come up and stay for a week. That's who they're very much targeted to. Has that factored into your projections at all that there may be a bigger market for the, for the lower mainland skier? It certainly has, has given us, uh, that was one of the best things we've ever heard, <laughs> is having, uh, <laughs> having that said in Whistler. It, it uh, really strengthens our, our case, I believe, and takes away some of, the, you know, some of the criticisms and worries about Whistler. We would love to have those people stop here and, and ski for the weekend here and, and eventually grow. I mean, Whistler started off as a weekend resort period right and then it's gradually grown into what it is today with you know it's almost as as busy midweek as on weekends so we'll adjust our plan as we go forward with that in mind um, but that was always the plan was that we have to appeal to the local the regional and the international destination market knowing that you start off with the local things you you mentioned that one of the advantages here versus other areas that you know they might have higher elevation they might have you know 
glaciers to ski on. We've got Seattle and Vancouver, you know, that close by. And the potential to, with the uh, municipal and, and regional transit system that is under discussion to be established and reestablished, there's discussions around the train. There's still, you know, some, some folks looking at high-speed catamarans to downtown Vancouver. So we've got to focus on some of those things um, and make it easier for people to get up here without cars. But still, Vancouver is still going to be our, our big market for a long, long time to come. So that kind of leads into the discussion about amenities. Because mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of the Squamish residents are, 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 are concerned about mainly is like what kind of amenities uh, will you be adding or asking for? Um, what has been planned? When it comes to building a road, perhaps satellite fire, satellite police. Um, and I think that's what the big concerns are because our amenities here in Squamish are pretty much almost tapped out. Yeah. So to add an extra layer, especially the resort size, is, is a big strain. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of arrangements there have been or what we're willing to put in the amenities or not. There's been no detailed discussions at all. It is something that has to happen. Typically what happens is that we will build all the put all the capital cost of infrastructure in place the sewer water roads power all those things and then there'll be negotiation with the local government whoever that is to uh, to operate that stuff that's the normal way to do it and i expect that's what'll happen here part of the reason why it makes a lot of sense for squamish to be the local government you mentioned fire for instance there's if we were our own little community we would have to have our own pretty significant fire looked at, stuff looked after. If we're part of Squamish, we would be a satellite fire station of some size. It'd have, you know, there'd have to be a study done and agreement with everybody that, that this is gonna work. But it would probably save us money that we could then contribute to Squamish for, for something else, right? That's what I see happening a lot of in, in cases is that uh, we can probably save some costs and contribute some of that to Squamish. We're also going to provide, uh, obviously, a huge recreational amenity to to the citizens of Squamish and the and Squamish um, government. You know, there, there's some facilities that are bursting at the seams. There's been talking about Brenham Park these days and another facility there. You know, if more kids start skiing and snowboarding and mountain biking up on the mountain, maybe some of those things don't have to be expanded so quickly. That, you know, we'll, we don't know. We'll have to study those things. What sort of timeline are we looking at? Say, say you get approval. Say you had all your approvals tomorrow. How soon would it be until people were up there buying condos and skiing? Once approvals are given, uh, at least a, a year of detailed design and, and engineering type things to happen and a couple of years of construction. Now, the way things are going, we're anticipating two more years of just permitting and approvals. The reality is we're looking at five, five years away, four to five years away for opening. And is that a realistic assessment or an optimistic assessment? Or uh, I think it's fairly realistic given what we know now. You know, once we start uh, talking to the new Squamish Council, we uh, will get a feeling for how amenable they're going to be to move forward. Some, you know, two, two folks from Squamish will be on the regional board and there's going to be a new a lot of new people out of Whistler. The regional district still has some say in what happens at the resort, no matter who the local government is. That uh, that just all depends on how that all that goes. Now, what happens if it comes down to a referendum here in Squamish? Obviously, if the referendum is yay, we could go, to, go ahead with the resort. Everything's yeah. hunky-dory. You can start negotiations with SLRD. Now, what happens if the referendum doesn't go into your favor? Well, first of all, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Squamish, Squamish, Squamish people are going to see 
uh, the value in this. And we, you know, we've been at the Squamish Street Market for the four Sundays that it was held over the summer. I, I've seen the demographics. I've seen some of the studies the economic people have done. I was still was astounded at the number of young people, young families that came by our booth and have no history with the project. And it's some of the negative stuff that you asked about, they, they don't know any of that. They just And a lot of them mountain bike. A lot of them mountain bike. Yeah. A lot of them um, would like to ski or snowboard with their kids, but they, they can't afford Whistler and they can't afford the lineups in Whistler. And, and even Cyprus this year, uh, I am told, was huge lineups all, all the time, even just to get a parking spot. You know, those folks can stay here and, and uh, go up the mountain. So we think a lot of those people, when the time comes, are going to support the project. Now, if for some reason it doesn't happen, there are other things that we can do. Anybody can go to the regional district and ask to form a, uh, you know, a community. You've got to, you know, it's, it's not a slam dunk. It's not simple, but it can be done. The province has legislation for things like resort municipalities and mountain improvement districts and stuff like that. So there are other mechanisms, but we're not spending any time on those. Well, actually, I th it seems to me that your biggest pushback wouldn't be from Squamish, but Whistler. Because mm -hmm. Jack Crompton, who is the acclaimed mayor of Whistler now, has no one, he ran unopposed, he's come out and said he's against it. So how much of a factor could that be, could Whistler opposition be? Uh, it could be. Uh, there, there, it could be a factor, but I, again, I, they're going to have an election uh, at the same time as we do, and, and um, some of the people that were opposed, other people that are opposed, um, are not running. And I, I think, you know, we, had a f we did a focus group session in the spring, and we invited just a bunch of random people that we knew skied and, and are, you know, somewhat knowledgeable about Squamish and, and had a beer and a pizza and asked you know, what they thought of our resort, what they would like to see in our resort. I was astounded at the bad feeling towards Vail. I, I had not heard it with, you know, with my own ears. And again, I worked there for 20 years on Worcester Mountain, right? I have a soft spot for what, what we built up there over the years. And to hear these people just badmouth everything about it was astounding. So, and, and so I, think the, the, I think a lot of stuff has changed in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, with, with my business, and I speak with a lot of parents, and when the Vail came in, the, the whole family pass and the ski school stuff has become a little bit more expensive for them. And the opportunity of not having to drive all the way up to Whistler for ski school or snowboard school is, is, uh, is, is a good thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and we've been hearing that, too, from, from a lot of people. And, I mean, you look, again, we, we keep talking about the North Shore, but, I mean, Grouse, you can hop on a city bus and go up to the mountain. Cypress has their own shuttle bus. So we will have something like that. I don't know which it'll be, but you know, kids in Squamish are going to be able to hop on the bus and go to the mountain for the day and, and ski and snowboard in the winter or, or uh, mountain bike in the summer or just go for a hike up to, up to the ridge or whatever. You know, so it, that, that, I think, is going to sway a lot of people and has swayed a lot of people when you start telling them about these, these options. Well, interesting stuff. We, uh, we, we can only hope that someday we'll be up there skiing. Yeah, I, I don't know about Marcus, but I'd certainly like to be up there skiing. Uh, my, my You're more of a snowboarder. 
my my uh my sliding downhill days are pretty much over. Oh no! My, Come on, my, my knees have been destroyed over the years. Yeah. But I, I'm more interested, obviously, in, in infrastructure and when it comes down to amenities for Squamish and and growing Squamish in, in a way that you know it's beneficial for everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the concerns that the people are having is essentially um, if you're if if it doesn't work out, you know, who's left holding the bag? Right. You know, when it comes down, you have buildings that have been there for 20 years, and who who who's responsible for the upgrades yeah. and that sort of stuff. So I mean, I'm not saying it's going to fail. Just I think that the big concern is if, if it doesn't work out the way it is supposed to be planned, who's left holding the bag right. at the end? And actually, there was a, a study done by Squamish um, in 2010. Uh, they hired a company called uh, MMK Consulting who looks at socioeconomic issues in communities. And they looked at the, uh, the benefits, looked at all the costs that are going to have to be. It's, it's quite a, a long report, and it's on the District of Squamish website. But... They concluded that they, they looked at four scenarios, um, complete success, Garibaldi not being part of Squamish, and then two scenarios of early failure and late failure. And only in early failure, so in other words, if the resort opened for three or four years and, and then uh, went belly up, would there be a negative impact on Squamish taxpayers? And it was a very small, it was like 2%, 3% impact. In all other scenarios, where, where Squamish um, was the local government, there was a positive impact on, on tax reduction for existing taxpayers. Do you have any projections on, on job creation for the project? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, the, again, the part of what MMK did in that study also was look at uh, the both the capital and operating jobs. And capital jobs are, in words, the construction type jobs would be uh, about a th average about 1,000 a year and then at build-out, the resort would have potentially 3,000 employees. And the other part of the um, environmental yeah. assessment certificate, and it will be part of the work with the Mountain Resorts branch, is uh, a minimum number of employee beds built. And looking at what's happening in Squamish right now, we think, and in Whistler, we think we're going to have to build more than what that minimum is so yeah because in terms of employment i mean here that's the struggle with yes. businesses is finding staff and, yep. and so it's and paying enough staff so they can actually live here yeah but you know the the businesses that are successful are ha, have fixed that problem a long time ago and and i'm not saying somebody you know dis dissing anybody but um i have a friend in whistler that's got a couple little ski shops and a couple of years ago, he realized there was going to be a problem, and he went and bought a house and, and rents it to his staff. And he has no staff problems, right? He, he looks after them, and, and uh, away they go. So that's, but uh, yeah, and I've heard that from a few people up in Whistler, but that's, you know, that's an expensive oh, proposition. Sure. Yeah. So, but we will be building um, a full range of staff housing from the apartments for the people that are here for one one year and, and you know taking a break from university and moving on right up to homes that people can own and live in and work there forever. So when I, when I worked for Interwest, I lived in an Interwest townhome in uh, Bayshores, and it was a lovely little townhome. I my myself and three my wife and three kids, and it worked great. We you know we owned it. We uh, it was in Estrada, so obviously there was those kind of things happening. But when we sold it, it appreciated a little bit in value. Not, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an investment. It was a home, and and uh, there was a lot of people that still live in those those same condos that we were townhomes that we were living in in Bayshores and work for the mountains or work for the hotel or or whatever. So it can be done, uh, and. Um, it, and it, it has to be done here to, for us to succeed. Well, the, yeah, an employee housing strategy, that's something that 
also, you know, they've been talking about that for almost as long as they've been talking about Garibaldi at Squamish. <laughs> but not quite as long, but for a while now. So is there anything uh, left over that you want to dispel? Because, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're staring the social media. You're, you're sure there's some misgivings out there that are not appropriately there. Is there something uh, that you want to sort of clear the air with? Um, there's way less negativity than there used to be. Again, I've only been in this project for two years. I was not the person that decided that, that we should uh, do some of this stuff you know, that we expanded around the, the lakes. And I certainly had input that we needed to stay away from that. The only negativity that remains really is from the snowmobilers because they're going to lose some of their turf. So they're the ones that are saying, oh, there's no snow, there's no snow. But, you know, if there's no snow, why are they fighting so hard to, to keep their turf? Yeah, so yeah, actually, I was going to say that probably your <laughs> biggest opposition will be the people that are skiing up there now, the backcountry skiers. There's some, yeah, some backcountry skiers. But you know what? The um, So part of what our... So, again, part of our consultation was talking to BC Parks because, again, their boundary is, is our boundary. They know that there's potential for people to, to, you know, leave the resort and go into the park, and people will. So part of our agreement with them is that we will not encourage that to happen and we won't advocate for it. What we also have done with parks is that, so they're long overdue for a Garibaldi Park master plan update, and so we've offered to contribute money to that to do so they can do it properly and whatever they decide to do if they decide to uh, improve access and allow access and encourage access then it's going to be a boon for everybody people well blackcomb abuts uh, abuts uh yep. provincial parkland as well and so people go up whistler blackcomb and and buy a one-way ticket and then go out into the spearhead you know they're going to head up they're going to have huts out there now for heaven's sake on the spearhead they won't be well there's been an old hut there for a long time but they won't be camping in snow caves they'll be in a nice hut and spend a couple of nights and go skiing and come back. So that's possible. So if people want more information, where, where, where can they find it? Well, we have a, a Facebook page, Support Garibaldi. Lots of people go on there and uh, ask some really good questions, and we try and answer the questions. The, uh, and there's also a, a website, uh, Garibaldi at Squamish. We weren't, we weren't able to change that because it's a d domain name, but uh, it'll stay for a while. Yeah, I keep saying Garibaldi and Squamish, but it's Garibaldi Squamish. Yes. Just for That's the record. Just while we're trying to get to that. Well, yeah. from here on out, I'm going to change when I, when I do uh, uh, interviews with uh, the council candidates. We ca I keep saying gas. It's like yeah, Garibaldi yeah. and Squamish, but now I'm going to have to change my lingo. It's there Garibaldi Squamish. Garibaldi Squamish. Yeah. We're really looking forward to bringing this, you know, the jobs and the uh, recreation opportunities to the community. Well, thanks for coming in, Rod. We enjoyed talking with you, and I'm sure people of Squamish are happy to get that information. I know there's, you know, there's always been a big question mark over Brome Ridge, and as I say, it's been an ongoing project. So, Marcus, you want to take us out? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as always, thanks for listening to Sea to Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on. 